Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates author interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And for all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience who love American Revolutionary War history just like me, today's Smithsonian Associates author interview is just for you. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a great guest today whom I will introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 669th episode, and I spoke to comedian and host of the popular podcast, Carson Podcast, Funny Man himself, Mark Malkoff. Two weeks ago in another great interview, I spoke to Smithsonian Associate and author, researcher, and scientist, Dr. Sean Harding, who's written the new book, The Exquisite Machine, The New Science of the Heart. Wonderful stuff. If you missed these shows, you can go back, check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we will read it at the end of each show. Please leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. I've got another wonderful review to read to you today. Thomas Jefferson once asserted that for depth of purpose, zeal, and sagacity, no man in Congress exceeded if any equaled Samuel Adams. John Adams called him the most elegant writer, the most sagacious politician, and celebrated patriot, perhaps, of all. But in spite of Samuel Adams' celebrated status among America's founding fathers as a revolutionary leader, Samuel Adams' life and achievements have been largely overshadowed in history books. In our spirited conversation today with Pulitzer Prize-winning author Stacy Schiff, who will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates with show favorite Rebecca Boggs Roberts, we will examine this oft-overlooked U.S. Constitution founder, Samuel Adams. Following Samuel Adams' transformation from the listless, failing son of a wealthy family into the tireless, silver-tongued revolutionary who rallied the likes of John Hancock and John Adams behind him, including a wonderful reading by Stacy Schiff from Chapter 2 in her new book, The Revolutionary, Samuel Adams, and A Voice in the Darkness, A Knock at the Door. A Voice in the Darkness, A Knock at the Door. A glimmer, a gleam, the hurry of hoofs. A sturdy, square-jawed man speeds through the night with an urgent message on a borrowed horse. His top coat flaps behind him. A bright moon hangs overhead. Within days, he will know that he has participated in some kind of history, though he'll hesitate to attach his name to it for decades, and is never to know that his own account will be obliterated, the adrenaline alone enduring by verse, leaving him trapped into Tetrometer, a mythic figure, eternally jouncing his way toward Lexington. It's just after midnight. Despite a near encounter with a pair of British officers, Paul Revere has made excellent time. Only two hours earlier, he had rushed through town to the home of the last remaining Patriot leader, and occupied Boston. On previous occasions, Revere had stood at hand while Dr. Joseph Warren wrote out secret messages for him to carry. Already in advance, in advance of this evening, Revere has devised a system. Friends await him on the north side of town, where they have hidden a boat in which to row him to Charleston. From there, he'll ride 12 miles west. He knows he has minutes before British regulars lock down Boston. He knows, too, that Warren has dispatched an earlier rider by a longer route with a similar message. Both speed toward Samuel Adams and John Hancock in Lexington. What the newspapers would later term Revere's secret and speedy intelligence was simple. British regiments are on the move. Adams and Hancock are their quarry. 
Revere gallops off to warn of imminent arrest, if not outright assassination. Adams and Hancock had retired for the night when Revere galloped into town, which was not to say that either the messenger or his message was entirely unexpected. Two days earlier, Revere had made the same ride in daylight and at a more relaxed pace to confer with the Patriot leaders. Both had recently fled Boston, where they no longer felt safe. Adams had made a hasty exit with only the clothes on his back. Even he judged them threadbare. He fled as well without his papers, destroyed later by a fast-thinking friend. Having attended the last session of a provincial congress that Saturday, Adams and Hancock were poised to ride to Philadelphia for, more, for a more momentous gathering. The two lodged temporarily in the comfortable, clabbered Lexington Parsonage, guests of the Reverend Jonas Clark, a gregarious man, a Hancock relative, and a firm friend of American liberty. The Bostonians shared a wallpapered room on the ground floor. Hancock's fiancé lodged above. On the earlier visit, Revere would have revealed what many in Boston had noticed. The regulars had hauled their longboats out of the harbor. General Thomas Gage had relieved his elite troops, his prized grenadiers and light infantry from, from duty, ostensibly for training. The faint fooled no one. Twice already, Gage's men had ventured into the Massachusetts countryside to confiscate munitions. Twice already, the countryside had known to expect them. British itineraries had surely been evaluated that Sunday at the parsonage, along with precautions. Adams had neither respect nor sympathy for Gage, whom he considered void of a spark of humanity. It was on the return from that ride that Revere had arranged for signals from the North Church steeple. A single lantern would indicate that the British intended to march by land. Two lights would indicate that they proceeded by boat. It was imperative that word reach the countryside, even if a messenger could not. All depended on provincial readiness. We cannot control events, Samuel Adams liked to say. The trick, he revealed that summer, is to foresee as far as we were able, prepare for, and improve them. That, of course, is our guest today, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Stacy Schiff, reading from her new book, The Revolutionary Samuel Adams. Again, Stacy Schiff will be at the Smithsonian Associates appearing soon. Please check our website for more details. But we've got Stacy Schiff today, so please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associate Stacy Schiff. Stacy Schiff, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Paul. It's good to talk to you. Um, Hope you're well. Congratulations on the wonderful new book, The Revolutionary Samuel Adams. My best to you and and all of yours. Hope hope the the lockdown and uh, all of what we've been facing the last few years hasn't uh, taken too much of a toll. But I hope you're well today. My lockdown was was spent with Samuel Adams, so in many ways it was a productive <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> good, good. Well, and and good timing for us. That I I think selfishly, I'll just I'll just say that you'll be uh, appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, this wonderful new book. It's getting great reviews. But why don't you tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? You're going to be. Um, there on November 1st. And we're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information. But why don't you tell us a little bit? Um, I I just know that I'm there on November 1st, which I'm hugely looking forward, um, with Rebecca Roberts. I don't have a start time, although I assume you do. And we'll be having a conversation about the book, and I'm sure about the writing of the book, and about why Adams is so critical, and how he has gone missing from the record. Yes, Rebecca Roberts is a a good friend of the program, too. Um, 
she'll have some wonderful questions. I, I know it's going to be a fantastic presentation because you're going to be talking about the book, The Revolutionary Samuel Adams, somebody that, that I know, maybe our audience knows as Sam Adams, but Sam Adams might be derogatory. He, he might have viewed that perhaps derogatorily or, or dismissive. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the way he wanted to be addressed because it was more Samuel than it was Sam. Am I, am I right about that? You're, you're absolutely right, Paul. He's, um, his, his associates, his friends, his family clearly refer to him as Samuel. And the few times you see him referred to, he sometimes signs his name, as many people did in the 18th century with a little bit of an abbreviation. So there's a little misunderstanding. You know, sometimes it's S-A-M with a little Philip that you know, is meant to indicate the rest of the name, the way you know, George might sign his name, G-E-O dot. Um, but he is referred to as Sam only later and usually by people who have no taste for him whatsoever, which is to say crown officials or his, um, his, his sworn enemies who are generally supporters of the crown. There was so much that in the book that that I didn't know, including this about Sam versus Samuel. It all makes very good sense. I suppose, is that what attracted you to this subject? You know, kind of what we don't know about Samuel Adams? I was stunned, which often happens, by my own ignorance. Um, so, yes, this was um, this felt to me very much like my book on Cleopatra in the sense that you have a name whom everyone, which everyone recognizes. Um, even if some of us think it's a beer, but about whom we know really next to nothing. We all had sort of one or two Samuel Adams facts at our fingertips, and that was it. Um, and such something so elementary as where was Paul Revere heading when he got on his horse? I mean, we all know Paul, Paul Revere leaps on his horse that night, and we all know he's, he's riding frantically west, but where is he going? And the very fact that I didn't know he was going to warn Adams and Hancock of potential assassination was stunning to me. So, yeah, this was very much an attempt to find out why all the other 18th century figures salute him as the man of the hour. Thomas Jefferson calls him the most active, the earliest, the most persevering man of the of the revolution. What did the founders know that we didn't or that we don't? Right. I, I love that, that Thomas Jefferson was so – he really heaped the praise on this man. Why do you, why was it that, that Adams was – viewed as more important than, than so many others that we've come to know r- regarding the American Revolution? Well, to some extent, he, he does himself few favors. He's an extremely modest man. Um, he's pretty much the opposite of his cousin John in that respect. There's really no vanity. And the few times that he actually sort of makes a statement that might sound vaguely vain, like when he writes, he write, at one point writes his wife from the Continental Congress and says, you know, I've long learned to deprive myself of the sweet satisfactions of family life for the sake of my country. And then he kind of catches himself and says, but even that sounds vain because he really just believes in sort of noble self-sacrifice in a way. And, and because of that, he doesn't, he doesn't vaunt and he doesn't write himself into the history books. And to that, there's the added, of course, Philip, that he is meant to be shuffled off the stage after a revolution. He's a revolutionary. And you want, once you have a settled government, to get rid of the sort of turbulent characters on the scene. Um, And he doesn't make it easy for anyone to remember him because he neither collects and publishes his papers, despite John's suggestion that he do so. um, And he doesn't even preserve them. There's an amazing moment um, in the book in which John Adams describes Samuel feeding his papers to the fire um, at the Continental Congress so that no one's safety can be compromised. Um, So, you know, when you're fermenting revolution, you don't really want to leave a lot of fingerprints. So, in that respect, he's forgotten as well. 
And then after the war, he's really out of sync with America. His real importance is it's critical for those 11 or 12 years prior to 1776. Um, he spends a very long time at the Continental Congress, but he never then holds federal office. He plays no role in putting the country together. And he's really very much, um, very much allied still with old world simplicity when, the, when America has moved on to sort of new world luxury. So he's very, very much sort of out of step with the country he helps to create. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with author Stacy Schiff. Stacy Schiff is a Pulitzer Prize winning author and author of the new book, The Revolutionary Samuel Adams. Stacy Schiff will be at the Smithsonian Associates coming up Tuesday, November 1st. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about the presentation. The book is getting great reviews. Stacy Schiff, Ron Chernow says, with incomparable wit, grace, and insight, Stacy Schiff narrates the birth of the American Revolution in Boston and the artful, elusive magician who made it all happen, Samuel Adams. I love that. The Wall Street Journal says great things about the book, too. It's really, it's really been a, a nice read for me. I've enjoyed it. I love history books, and um, there's so much that I, I didn't know. You, you mentioned this about burning his own papers and and uh, all of these other fascinating facts. I, I I thought it was equally interesting to learn about this rift between John Hancock and Samuel Adams. And I, I hope you'll tell us a little bit about that because I thought that was kind of surprising to me. No, I'm so glad you pick up on that. I mean, it's very, you have two exceedingly different men who are very often working together, but obviously uncomfortably so. So Hancock is 15, 15 years younger than Adams. Adams actually recruits him. He realizes very early on that John Hancock's vanity will be flattered by holding political office. He helps him to get, re- to get elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. But he in, is in no way on the same, um, he's no way in tune with John Hancock in terms of John Hancock's love of luxury. So I mean, even, even, John Hancock's most indulgent biographers write him off as a sort of foppish pseudo-aristocrat. I mean, he's a very, he's, a, he's one of the wealthiest men in New England. He loves his clothes. He loves ceremony. He, he's exceedingly good at throwing parties, he's exceedingly generous, in fact, with the town of Boston. So he's beloved by the town of Boston. So Adams realizes that his fortune will be very useful um, to the patriot cause and that Hancock will be very flattered by, this, by the importance that um, a role will bring him. But after those first early years, um, the two of them have a very sort of on-again, off-again relationship um, for reasons we don't always understand. After the Boston Massacre, for example, when Boston goes very quiet, John Hancock is seduced away from from Adams' side um, by Thomas Hutchinson, the royal governor. Um, and and Hutchinson swe- uh, Hancock swears he'll never go back. He'll never again speak to Samuel Adams. The, the friendship is over. It's not the first time that's happened, but it, but he seems to mean it at that juncture. Um, and it takes a friend, it takes mutual friends a long time to bring the two 
back together. Um, but they're partners for a very long time. Hancock even has a portrait of Samuel Adams, the Copley portrait that we have today in, in Boston, hanging in his house, um, just diametrically different in their styles. Um, and at the, in the end, they will go for many years without speaking. Adams is very insulted by the way Hancock treats him at the Continental Congress, and Hancock is very upset by the way Adams treats him at the Continental Congress. And um, it really isn't until the, the end of Hancock's life um, that they reconcile. At one point, they are, they are governor and lieutenant governor of Massachusetts together. And at the very end, like not unlike John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, um, they will make up. But it's been a very fraught relationship over those years. I mean, generally, people were not, no one ever gave John Hancock high marks for um, either spine or intelligence. He was generally kind of written off as a poor, contemptible fool who was being led around by Samuel Adams. And obviously, he was aware of that. So there was a need to kind of, you know, separate himself from this person who people implied was manipulating him and be his own man. But on the other hand, there's clearly something very seductive about the relationship with Adams and what Adams has to offer him. Um, in terms of um, in terms of promoting the patriot cause, you use this word manipulated, and and I thought that was also interesting from the book too, because I I thought there were some parallels to today's time with with media and all of the hue and cry we hear about you know media manipulation and propaganda. Samuel Adams was really doing a lot of that even even in those times. <laughs> I, you know, misinformation came very easily without having, to him. Exactly. I mean, there's a huge, he really is for several years there, the chief propagandist in New England. And by being the chief, the chief propagandist in New England, you were among the chief propagandists in North America because Boston has so many newspapers, but he's just writing prolifically through the late 1780s. Um, you know, anthem after anthem to the cause of liberty and um, to against British overreach. And then what, I guess the moment where he's probably the most strikingly in the misinformation business, um, when troops arrive in Boston um, to calm a very unruly town, he and a bunch of his friends put together a sort of syndicated newspaper, a bunch of newspaper items, which they send all up and down the, the East Coast, which are kind of aggravated assaults that have occurred, according to them, at the hands of the British soldiers in Boston. There is no trace in the legal records of any of these incidents. So it seems to have been wholly manufactured and obviously makes a very tense town even tenser because there are all of these imputations of, of British misbehavior, of, of misbehavior on the part of the troops. And then his crowning moment is probably, in terms of misinformation, it's probably after the Boston Massacre when everyone is exonerated except for two of the soldiers. The case is closed. And Adams chooses at that moment under a pseudonym, under the pseudonym Vindex, to relitigate the entire case week by week um, on the front page of the Boston Gazette and try to convince everyone that, in fact, um, justice has miscarried and these soldiers who have fired on innocent civilians were, were in fact, um, the instigators of, of, of that Incident. It's a fascinating book. I, I just can't recommend this enough to our audience. Again, the title of the book is The Revolutionary Samuel Adams. Stacey Schiff is our guest today, author of the book. I, you know, I, I noted in the book too, Stacey Schiff, that you, you really argue that, that Samuel Adams might have been one of the most essential founding fathers. He was really the one who kind of stood almost behind this change in thinking that produced the American Revolution. And I wondered, because he, he's very much a man of action, and he's also this thinker. That's kind of an interesting, you know, kind of role to be playing. He did a lot of planning. 
was he was he all of these things or was he just kind of this this behind the scenes thinker? Um, yeah, I think that's a terrific point. I, and I should have mentioned with Adams and Hancock, they were the two most wanted men in America, which tells you something about how they are perceived um, by the British. They are the, they are clearly the biggest troublemakers um, out there. So, yes, he has achieved this um, this kind of rare celebrity, but he's done it both by in a very behind the scenes way instigating and manipulating and organizing. And that was true from recruiting young people, younger men like John Adams and John Hancock. That was true in terms of arranging for Boston massacre orations, which would happen annually after the a year in March after the massacre, every year after year to remind the citizens of Boston of this horrific um, occupation that they had endured. It was true in all kinds of boycotts and pickets that he helped to organize um, so those are sort of active things, but there's also a great deal of thinking. He really articulates better than does anyone in these years what the colonies stand for and what they mean to stand for and where Parliament has um, in some way begun to undermine them. I mean, part of the problem is that these the relationship between the colonies and Parliament is very ill-defined. And so everyone's kind of grasping for a sense of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And Adams is very clear-minded from far earlier than most people, from you know really the time of the Stamp Act in 1765, um, about what both America's relationship is to Great Britain and what liberty means and what tyranny can, constitutes as well. Really amazing stuff. I, I could talk to you for a long time about this, and, and so great that you're going to be at Smithsonian Associates coming up to tell us more. Again, Stacey Schiff, author of the wonderful new book, the revolutionary Samuel Adams will be at Smithsonian Associates on November 1st. We will have lots of links to where you can find out more information about the book, more information about Stacey Schiff, and of course, more information about her upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates. Stacey Schiff, my best to you. Congratulations again on this wonderful book, on all your writing, really. Just uh, uh, amazing research into this subject. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the book and so enjoyed talking to you and we we'll look forward to seeing you upcoming at Smithsonian Associates. Thank you so much, Paul. Hugely look forward to coming down. Our review today is from Deborah J. Evans. It's a five-star review. It was written on the 16th of October, and Deborah Evans says, addictive all episodes. (laughs) She says, I have heard the show many times, every time something new. I've learned much, some old, unforgettable moments, always wrapped in a new way. Awesome. In the case of touching life, these are the words of peace. Stay well. Thanks, Deborah Evans. That is so nice of you. My thanks to all of you for your wonderful ratings. They mean a lot, so please keep it up. My thanks to author, Smithsonian Associate, Stacy Schiff, author of the new book, The Revolutionary, Samuel Adams. Stacy Schiff will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our website for more details. My thanks, of course, to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to Stacy Schiff for her generous time for reading. And my thanks to you, our wonderful Not All Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, which I'm telling you each and every show, followed by my message, to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn, school. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcasts. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. 
hundred men with each a pen. Or more, upon my word, sir, it is most true it be too few. Their valor to record, sir. Such feats today perform that day against those wicked kegs, sir. That years to come if they get home. They'll make their boasts and brag, sir. 